a grace-filled life. Hey, happy Mother's Day. Good to see everyone. Um, you know, this morning, where are you? Right there you are. <laughs> you know, sometimes when you feel in that, uh, when you go through things and you just don't feel like your heart's in it and, you know, you're in a drought. And sometimes it seems cruel to tell someone who's maybe lost a child or gone through divorce or whatever, just go pr praise and worship the Lord. But, you know, in, a, in that place, you, the seed that when God was pursuing us and pursuing you and planted that in your heart, faith knew how to find that song. And it knows how to find that song in you. Wherever you are, faith will rise up because that seed is still there. And, and that's for anybody who's going through anything. When you come and you think it's dry and I'm just not going forward and just okay, well, there is that river that's bubbling, and it's still there, and it's never dry. It's a river of life. And um, so faith can find its worship in you, okay? And uh, so that helped me. And sometimes, you know, you just come and you think, I want to encourage you, but the Lord wants to encourage us. His Spirit wants to encourage us. I mean, he was just on me. I just couldn't quit crying. Like, oh, he just loves me, you know, and he loves you. And it's like, man, that is good to be ministered to because faith will find its song in your heart. And um, the gospel is the good news, amen. And when you come here, hopefully that's what we present is Jesus. And he's altogether lovely. And there's a script, well, in Song of Solomon, and I don't think she's here, but it, she's my, my daughter's grand, grandmother, Kim. And we talk all the time. I'm like, man, she's Ruth and Naomi. Because <laughs> wherever she's going, I'm going, you know, and it's the same. And we're just family. But I'm going to tell her that. But she was like, oh, I just love the Song of Solomon. And, you know, we can go back and forth. And she said that one scripture just breaks me every time. And it says, we're, he says to his beloved, you have captured my heart. Oh, isn't that good? We have captured his heart. And to think that he's pursuing us still, no matter what we do, where we go, how we do it, he, he has we have captured his heart. And so the gospel is the good news, and that's what we want to present is how you have captured his heart and want to speak that to you. And you are eternally redeemed. I keep going back to Hebrews every time, and it's like he is so, we have so captured his heart that he is making sure that we are eternally his through the eternal, through eternal redemption, through his eternal blood, through the eternal spirit, and that we have an eternal inheritance. So, you know, whatever our end time view is, we're still going. It's still good, and we're going to have it here on the journey. He wants us to enjoy the best life there is on this planet, and he wants us to enjoy it as we're, because there is a there that we're going to. We haven't taken that away. We just want that there to be here right now so we can enjoy that. Amen. And uh, in Jude, you know, um, I just want to say now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able to keep us. He, you know, I'm not able to do it myself. If I was able to do it myself, there's plenty of churches around the world might be preaching a mixture that what we have to do, and I understand that we are to take grave clothes off, that we have responsibility, faith and responsibility, but he is the ultimate one. I can't out arm wrestle him. His arm is longer than mine, and he is able to keep us and to present us faultless because he presented himself spotless to God by his eternal blood, and he presents us faultless 
and blameless, with eternal joy. It says in the Greek that it's wild, ecstatic joy. With wild joy, that's how much he is. we have captured his heart. And um, I just want to encourage you with that, amen, so that no matter what, you have captured his heart, and faith will find its song, faith will find its worship, and um, he's pursuing us. No matter where you go, you can't, you can't get away. It's just like turn around and let that flood of grace fall over, amen. So, Heavenly Father, we just love you and praise you. Thank you for moving in this place this morning. Thank you for opening our hearts, opening our minds, and opening our eyes that we may see you clearly. Lord, the veil is gone. It's torn. May we see the sun of your glory rise up in us this morning. We thank you. We love you. and We honor you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good word. Get your Bibles out, your smart devices, if you would, please. And... um... We're going to jump into this second part of our series on spiritual warfare and the myths of spiritual warfare. Um, It's amazing what people think you hear, they hear you say. Not what you actually say, but what they think they hear you say. And how people will separate from you, quit supporting you, leave you, uh, based upon what they thought you had it, it, one thing that breaks my heart as a pastor is that people that are set under your teaching and preaching don't give you the opportunity to answer questions. They just think they heard what they heard and they leave and they just over things that aren't even essential doctrines. Listen, if you believe in a rapture, that God's going to come and take you away pre, post, or mid-trib, that's fine if you believe that, and you can give scriptural references for those. And if it happens in the way that you believe it, and I don't believe that way, I'm still going. Okay. But if we don't get raptured out pre-post or awe or pan or however you look at it, and he comes and we go into the next dimension of glory where those who have gone before us are in the presence of Jesus and our spiritual eyes are opened, then we're all going to be there together. So either way, it doesn't matter when you get there, how you get there, to know that what Jesus did at the cross is a finished work and that it is for anyone and everyone who will believe that's where we can agree upon that. And we just want to present Jesus and Him real big and lovely. And uh, just like Lisa said, that veil is gone and we can see into His face. Uh, And that's really what spiritual warfare is about. It's about face-to-face encounters, not hand-to-hand combat. And we've made the gospel, which Paul and Christ both tell us, that it is a gospel of peace. So if it is a gospel of peace, there is nothing militant or violent about it. Jesus' words, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would take up swords. But my kingdom is not of this world, so they don't have swords, except for this one. Edna Frymeyer went to Israel with us one year and at security they asked her if she had a weapon and she said yes you do not want to do that when you go into Israel they said what type of weapon do you have and she said a sword needless to say they took her into another room and strip searched her took all of the clothes out of her luggage and slung them everywhere and they'd say where is your weapon and she pointed at her Bible and she said right there Hats everywhere, that's right, if you know Edna. Listen, our call to spiritual warfare is two things. This morning we're going to look at no more war 
as we've known it because a lot of us have known spiritual warfare or spiritual battles as war. That's the way we've known it. But our call in spiritual warfare is two things. It is to resist and to rest and nothing more. So in spiritual warfare, anything else that's brought to you as a teaching that would cause you to sweat and get nervous and cry and pound the ground. Listen, I, I have been in situations where I felt like somebody stuck a knife in my chest, slipped me wide open, reached inside, grabbed my heart, threw it on the ground, and stomped on it. I've been in those situations. And you will have an emotional response, I guarantee you, if something happens like that. Those are not the types of situations I'm talking about. I'm talking about a teaching that will bring to our knowledge that we need to do all types of things. I love the way that Lisa said this morning, you think you can really out-arm wrestle God and twist his arm to get him to do something that he does not already want to do and has not already done for you? Um, so what do we do? We resist the accusations of the enemy and we rest. What has happened is we've studied the kingdom of darkness rather than the kingdom of light, and we've strategized in order to find a way to resist. But you simply resist and you rest. That's our call. We've traded walking in the cool of the garden for boots on the ground. People have neglected a relationship with God where they can walk with Him in the cool of the garden, which is what He designed for Adam. He never designed Adam to have boots in spiritual warfare and be fighting a battle. So there are five references in the New Testament to the word war or warfare. Uh, and most of those have become teaching out of context that's made these words have a militant approach. Listen, the greatest enemy that you will face in, in the kingdom is keep it, it's the one that's keeping us out of the lap of Jesus comes from those who we think are religiously mature. People that have been in ministry for a long time, they have degrees, and listen, I'm not, this is not a blanket statement, but there are a lot of people that we have listened to. There's still a lot of them on television that we've watched and in churches, and they're not in, they're not, I'm not saying they're wrong. It's just an incomplete teaching from a revelation that wants to make these five references very militant and violent. I want to show you something in these scriptures today. But before we do, I want to say many leaders in our current church culture, culture will be the ones who will oppose what the childlike are, will find in Papa's lap. If you will fall into the lap of the Lord instead of the lap of Delilah, you'll keep your strength. So I'm not, I don't know about you, but I don't want to spend the rest of my life screaming at demons. <laughs> I'm not, matter of fact, I'm not going to spend the rest of my life screaming at demons. I'm going to spend the rest of my life receiving fresh revelation of my identity in the one who has already won the war. Unfortunately, spiritual war has become built on myth upon myth. And the reason that is, is because we have not moved on to maturity. Um, so we're going to look at spiritual truths that really have the roots of spiritual warfare in these five references. 
but I want to show them to you in a different light so that they're in context and not out of context because if you take a scripture out of context, all you have left is a con. <laughs> so 1 Peter 5.8, this is not one of the references, it's going to give us a background. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us to be sober and to be vigilant because your adversary... Circle the words your adversary, underline that, highlight that. Your adversary, the devil, that word devil is diablos, and it is not a person. It's a, Yes, it's not a noun, it is an adjective, it's describing. It means accuser or deceiver. So anything that's accusatory is the devil. He, that system... That adjective walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom we may devour. Uh, so, what is the adversary's, um, what does he do? What does that system do? Listen, I am not telling you, don't go out of here, Jamie doesn't believe in a devil. <laughs> I believe in a biblical devil. You'll find out here in a second exactly what I believe about the devil. So, according to Scripture, he does a couple things. He blinds the unbeliever, 2 Corinthians 2, 4, 4. He is a tempter, according to Matthew 4, 31. He is a deceiver, according to Genesis 3 and Revelation 20, verse 3. But Revelation 12, 10 calls him the accuser of the brethren. Accusation is the equipment of the satanic. Did you hear that? Accusation is the equipment of the satanic. To peddle accusation, even in the name of Jesus, which a lot of people in pulpits are peddling accusation. What do you mean? They're going to stand in the pulpit this morning and point their finger at people and accuse them of all types of things. Now listen, if you are peddling accusation, even in the name of Jesus, you're doing the work of the enemy. The Holy Spirit, scripturally, came to tell us about, point us to, and remind us of what Jesus did. I believe that we established very well last week that he won the victory. The battle is over. Satan is defeated. The Holy Spirit cannot look at what Jesus did at the cross and accuse you of your sin at the same time because Jesus took away the sin of the world. Any amens there or omies? <laughs> if he took away the sin of the world at the cross and that's what the Holy Spirit is reminding of us of and pointing us to and teaching us about the truth thereof, then he cannot accuse and point to the cross at the same time. The worst kind of accusation doesn't make you discerning. It makes you satanic. Oh, that's pretty strong. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not peddle or meddle in accusation. So if you are feeling accused, whether it comes from a pulpit or a movie or a, a soundtrack, or it doesn't matter where you're, who's trying to accuse you, it's not from God. Because He's the accuser of the brethren. But I'm not teaching a series to announce 
that he is the accuser, I'm teaching a series to tell to you that I believe, my announcement is, that he is defeated. <laughs> Remind him of that. The path that many have been taught to overcome has become very mystical. Uh, this could help explain why many engage in warfare around us and they're not walking in abundant life. I know many, many close friends that if I was to have a conversation with them today, it would become very mystical. They would call it spiritual. And it would be so caught up in what they've been having to do to fight off that they, they're not enjoying life. Everything's a fight. Everything's a battle. Everything's a skirmish. And because of that, and they can't resist and rest, and they succumb to the accusing and the temptations of the enemy, then they are constantly fighting in a militant, violent force against a kingdom of darkness that's already been defeated, and they don't have victory. Well, they do have it. They just don't walk in it, and therefore they are not enjoying life. It's what my dad would call a bunch of sourpuss Christians. They just look like they've been sucking on dill pickles for... They're not happy and enjoying life because they're fighting a battle that's already been won. We have allowed poor teaching and incomplete theology to identify us as survivors just hanging out here on earth until raptured instead of acting as overcoming sons advancing the kingdom of God in this world. See, because if you're in a militant you're, you're defending territory, you're trying to take territory, but the scripture tells me that every place that my foot touches belongs to me. I mean, that's victory mentality. I'm not, I don't have to fight. See, the misconception that the children of Israel had when they got to Jericho or to, the, to Canaan land was that they were going to have to fight. But he had already declared that he would drive out the pestilence, that he would drive out the Hivites and the Jebusites and the Canaanites and the termites, and he would drive them all out that they weren't going to have to fight. But see, their misconception was that they were going to have to fight. They didn't believe. That's exactly right. So they didn't mix faith, Hebrews 4 says, but we have the victory that overcomes the world through our faith. Faith of what? That he's already finished the work and defeated the enemy on our behalf. We cannot allow fear-mongering and product peddling to give the demonic realm creative ability that only exists for our Father. See, the demonic realm, if you believe, and I'm, I'll leave that very open for you, if you believe that Satan was a fallen angel and a third of the angels fell with him, they, if that's your belief system, uh, then they do not have creative ability or reproductive ability. The angels don't reproduce. They're spirits. And they don't have creative ability, only the Father. The Son and the Holy Spirit have creative ability, which He's given over to you. You have creative ability, not out of nothing because everything we have comes from Him. But we've allowed fear-mongering and product peddling to become um, such in the kingdom of God that we've given demonic presences and entities creative ability. 
And so we say things like new levels, new devils. As you grow and mature, the devils are going to get stronger. They're going to multiply and fight against you. I say nay, nay. <laughs> the false teaching of increased demonic activity is an, is an indictment upon the sons of God. So depending on the translations, the word war or warfare Five times in the New Testament, and here's what I want to get across to you today. All five of those references have zero, somebody say zero, connection to the devil. None of them. Would you like to hear about them? So let's pull the mask off of this hyped up spiritual warfare stuff, uh, and let's just begin to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us into renewed minds, okay? First one, 1 Timothy, the first chapter. Verse 18, 1 Timothy 1, uh, verse 18. Paul speaking to Timothy, This charge I commit to you, son, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. Do you see the words war and warfare there? Does this verse have any connection, and I would encourage you to make sure that I'm reading in context to read a few verses before it and a few verses after it when you get home you will find out that there is zero connection to the demonic to the devil to Satan but yet the words war and warfare are used here see how these scriptures have been used out of context to talk to you about fighting a war what Paul is actually saying here is uh, the verse has zero indication of connection to the devil, but rather belief to the words that were spoken to Timothy about Timothy. See, because prophecy edifies, builds up, and encourages. So he had received prophecies, Paul said, that edified, built him up, and strengthened him in his calling. And he's saying, you're going to have to wage war... That in your mind about the things that have been spoken over you. There's not a week that goes by, by God's grace, that we don't stand in this pulpit and build you up and edify you and encourage you and who you are in Christ. And what your battle is when you go home is to really believe that about yourself. That's the war. That's the battle. That he tells you that you are his beloved. That, what did you just say? It's a good fight of faith, but he just said, she just said that we have captured his heart. Read the Song of Solomon and read it as you are the Shulamite woman. And that Christ is the bride, the bridegroom coming after you. Look at all the things. You are the garden of God. You're more than a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Just on and on and on. But the battle is, do we believe that? How many of you have ever received a prophecy from a man or a woman of God, someone spoke over your life? either in singing or direct prophecy, a letter, a sermon. Have you ever received a prophetic word over your life? Anybody at all? Two people, three people. Okay, there we go. The battle will be a lot of times, well, how's that going to be? This is, this is going on in my life. Matter of fact, we find out from the, uh, the scriptures that Paul had to encourage Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. So he was having a hard time believing as a young person, that he really had the call of God on his life that had been prophesied over him. Second one is also found in Timothy. This time the second letter to Timothy, chapter 2, 
verses 3 and 4. Was that first one enlightening? Number two, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus, for no one engaged in warfare entangles himself in the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him. The example here that Paul makes to Timothy is to be single-minded, focused, laser-focused, stay focused on Jesus. Again, nothing here indicating that the devil is involved, that there's demonic activity, that there's a spiritual battle going on in the cosmos, nothing here connected to that, but rather to discipline. You're going to endure hardship. Jesus said it. In this life you will have tribulations, trials, and battles. But no one engaged in the warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life. In other words, if your focus becomes so entangled with what you're going to eat, where you're going to live, how you're going to get these type, where am I going to work, what are the... All of those things are important, but if your mind gets entangled in those things and in all the affairs of life and you're not focused on Jesus and disciplined to hear Holy Spirit and have discernment, you will fall into the trap of the accusations and the uh, temptations of the enemy and you will be worried. And, not, and Jesus said worrying does not add one stature, not one inch to your growth. This may be the main verse that people use uh, when they are trying to identify us as warriors fighting evil spirits in the cosmos. This verse is not Paul's attempt to focus Timothy on an adversary, but rather to fix his gaze on the God of the galaxies. If he spun the world into existence and he's concerned about the lilies of the field and the birds of the air won't he be concerned about you we stay focused on Jesus all of these things will be added unto us the scripture says number three let me say this before we move on to three the essence of this verse is Paul not teaching here about war but how to walk and again I said at the beginning it's never been about boots on the ground it's been walking in the garden We've got to get our focus and our minds shifted back to this victorious mindset that allows us, <clears throat> excuse me, allows us to walk in the garden instead of fight on the front lines. Number three, 1 Peter 2, verse 11. I love the passion translation here. He starts out with, My divinely loved friends. That's how I want to address you this morning. My divinely loved friends. You are divinely loved. Isn't that good? And you're my friends. Since you are not resident, that you are resident aliens and foreigners in this world, I appeal to you to divorce yourselves from the evil desire that wages war within you. I love that language. Divorce yourself from the evil desires that wage war within you. The King James, or New King James says, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. My, when I've been studying, and I see, especially Paul and even Peter here now, when it begins to talk about the flesh, it's really talking about the appeal of the law. What the law does in the flesh to try to get you to work and to labor. 
and in the flesh, those we have this innate desire to keep the law because if I can give you some rules to keep, two-year-olds can keep rules. But it doesn't mean that they have a relationship. They'll get more out of your relationship with them than they will a bunch of rules. And so what Peter is saying to you divinely loved friends who are not citizens of this world, but you are in it to divorce yourself from that desire that really wages in war, war within you. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I go here? Should I not go here? Why do I do the things that I don't want to do, but I can't do the things that I want to do? And so where is this war going on? Uh, again, there's no connection here to, that, to, to the devil or to the demonic. Uh, the question here is that it's the battle of the mind. It's going on eternally. So let me ask you a question. Can the accuser of the brethren try to influence our minds? Yes. But Ephesians 4.27 says and reminds us, Give no place to the slanderous accuser. Give no opportunity to him to manipulate you. The King James says, Give no place to the devil, but... The Passion Translation says, don't give the slanderous accuser an opportunity to manipulate you. I hope this is on the screen, and I put it in the notes. We have given too much to the devil. Too much attention? I mean, listen to sermons and listen to how much attention is given to the devil. Too much credit? The devil made me do it. And too much power has been assigned to the defeated one. We do have an adversary, but my announcement this morning, and will continue to be, is he is defeated. Number four, James, the fourth chapter, verse number one. Where do wars and fights come from among you? I have to stop right there and tell you that I received a message yesterday that people have stopped coming to Grace Life, of course not because of Lisa and I. And that's what they said. It's because there was too much fighting going on in the pews at Grace Life, especially on Facebook with political views. Um, where do wars come from among you? Do they not come from your desires to, for pleasure? that war within your members, this will help you not to fight. Okay. Uh, this will settle the issue for you not to fight. You don't have to be right. And you don't have to prove yourself right. Doesn't the battle begin inside of us to fight to have our own way, to fulfill our own desires? Here's another war verse that has no connections to the devil because we've given him too much attention, too much credit, and too much power. He doesn't enter into me and make me have the desires that I have. I just like to have my way, and I want to be right. And don't laugh at me because you want to the same thing, if you be honest. <laughs> and so the common denominator is our mind. And the battle is over our soul. He, one place Paul says it's the enemy of our soul. 
Where's the soul? It's your mind, will, and emotions. Where's the battle? It's in the mind. Joyce Myers didn't get it wrong. It's the battlefield of the mind. And it's robbing people of their joy, peace, and contentment. The war is being played out in our minds. That's four war and warfare verses that have had nothing, no reference to the devil and to the, to the demonic. But yet we've made spiritual warfare all about fighting the devil. The last one, 2 Corinthians, the 10th chapter, verses 3 through 5, and this will be familiar when you start hearing this. For we wrestle not, or for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Underline that word stronghold. Highlight it. Circle it. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought, underline that word, circle that word, into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Not to your obedience, but to the obedience of Christ. What was his obedience? His obedience was to go to the cross. He went to the cross. He finished the work. So we bring every thought into the captivity of the finished work of the cross. This verse speaks of mental strongholds. Strongholds are in our mind. They are belief systems and lies that we've allowed to attach ourselves to that that has caused us to think in a certain vein. Those are strongholds. We're not warring against a stronghold of demonic forces that we have to go out and fight violently and militantly against in order to tear down that stronghold. We're not even reaching into a demonic realm in the cosmos somewhere. The stronghold is in your mind. It's a thought process. It's a belief pattern. It's something that you've, a lie that you've believed, that you've structured your whole existence spiritually around. Rick Reiner, in his book, Dress to Kill, says, It's true that these bondages and strongholds in the mind may have first attached themselves to us in the past when we were still enslaved to sin and to Satan. However, we must keep this verse in proper context. In context, these verses are referring to a person making an immovable decision to take charge of his or her own mind and take his thoughts and the thoughts of his mind into captivity, pulling them down, casting them out. How does this happen? Not in hand-to-hand combat, but into face-to-face encounters with the master. John, if you'd come. They provide grace through Holy Spirit to dismantle any thought process that exalts itself above the knowledge of God and the obedience of Christ. Too many times demonic activity has been the excuse for people's bondage and dysfunction. They're dysfunctional and we've made it demonic. Again, folks, I'm not telling you that there aren't demons and sometimes there's not demonic activity. If you are a believer, you cannot be possessed, but you can be oppressed. If a non-believer has not surrendered to the power of Christ in their life and they could be possessed because they've opened themselves up to things, to me, it's not a battle and a struggle to cast that devil out. 
I'm sorry. It's not a fight, it's a word. It's good. We have the responsibility through the grace of God in the power of the Spirit to combat these mindsets. See, they're mindsets. And so we're not fighting the devil, we're fighting the thoughts that are going on in our mind. Stand to your feet and let me review these five in context of encounters with Christ. Peter and Paul, James are encouraging us Number one, to believe the word spoken over you. To be single-minded and focused. To abstain from fleshly desires to keep the law. And to bring our thoughts into the captivity of the obedience of the finish, of Christ at the finished work of the cross. And that is done by pulling down strongholds. Look at the screen for this last statement. This teaching last week and this week should posture our hearts towards the garden of God and provide an, provide answers on how we are to subdue the enemy why does it posture our hearts towards the garden of God it's because it's more about walking in the cool of the garden than it is boots on the ground but when we make it about boots on the ground and hand to hand combat and fighting off demonic spirits all the time we're going to get into mystical stuff and practices. And if we start accusing one another, see, if I give you a set of rules that you have to follow to wage war against the devil and you don't keep them, then I will accuse you of breaking those rules. And that's why the devil's fighting. And in the name of Jesus, I've become, I've used the equipment of the satanic realm to accuse you because there's nothing in the scriptures that the Holy Spirit will use to accuse you with. That's the work of Satan. I can't, I, I looked for it this week and I can't even remember who it is and I, I made reference to it last week, but I like the song that I hear on the message, Sirius XM Radio, that says, why do you keep fighting a battle that's already been won? If we can get theology from the song, we sure can get it from the scriptures that tell us the same thing. The battle is the Lord's, and He's already won the victory. That's our mindset. If that, see, there's no more war. Here on Mother's Day, I, I can remember my mom telling me, Jennifer and I never fought. <laughs> we really didn't as much as Jason and I fought. Brothers, you know. Y'all stop fighting. I can hear mom. Y'all stop fighting. I got my mouth washed out with soap one time for calling Jason a, a butthole. And that's exactly what I said. I didn't say A. I said B. And I still got my mouth. Y'all stop fighting out there in that yard. If my mom had such a desire to see no more war and conflict amongst her, her sons, how much more do you think the father is tired of seeing the conflict that goes on amongst brothers, sons? Because the battle is up here, and if we can start thinking right, we'll start living right, and we'll start acting right. And then my desires are will be given to me as a out of a natural flow of just walking with God in the cool of the garden. 
And then I'll begin to prefer my, prefer my brother and my sister over myself. And so now there's no conflict. It's just flowing in that. You have something? Come on up here. Because I'm sure it's good. I was taking all kinds of notes. No, I know whenever it was heavy, you said if you're operating, you know, in the name of Jesus and you're accusing, you're really operating in the demonic. And you know that's scriptural? Because when they were in the garden and Peter said, no, Lord, you don't have to go to the cross. What did Jesus say to Peter? He said, get behind me, Satan. Now, he wasn't the devil, but he was an accuser, accusatory opposed. So that's where we can come from when we say that, you know, because it's like, well, you know, well, they don't believe in demons. Well, you know what? I don't have a problem with demons. I, I really don't because I've died and my life is hidden in Christ. It's what Colossians said. So how can he find me if I'm constantly renewing my mind and my identity of who I am in Christ? He is my defender, my protector. He is defeated. He's gone. He, he can't. He's like, yeah, I'm hidden in Christ. That's who. So when you come here and you hear that, we're not, and you're, and you're wanting to hear beating up scriptures and demons under every rock, you're not going to hear that from us because your life is hidden with Christ. Not saying that there's not trials or problems or anything like that, but there are not as many, and it doesn't steal my joy or my peace or or anything because I know who I am in Christ because he's my protector my defender the only good fight is the good fight of faith and that's first Timothy see these are all scriptural and he, he was telling Timothy contend for the faith you know the only good fight is the fight of faith so anytime anyone comes up and tries to tell you anything different in your mind the only power the enemy has is the power of suggestion he suggested it in the garden she believed the lie so that suggestion that comes it depends on what you believe what are you going to believe are you going to believe this and give the power to your to the enemy over over your mind and start walking in that and people are preaching that i don't want to preach that your life is hid with christ he and and, and as far as situations or 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 territories or oh this is so demonic over here this spirit's hovering in this place and that spirit is because of this place and there's that kind of demons in there <sighs> Ephesians 121 says and I love all of that scripture so please read it but he said he has seated him and placed him far above so who is far above all of that that you're thinking is ruling and reigning anyway he is seated, and where are you seated? In Him, far above, ruling and reigning over all of that situation. Do you know that? So that's what we want to do is change our mind, repent, change the mind away how we used to think. And this was our journey. We thought all those things, and people aren't thinking like, you know, like, well, they've lost their minds, you know? No, we're not against any of them, but we're on this journey, and it's like the light bulbs are going off and we're ruling and reigning and things are happening, manifestations, good things. I mean, it's just like we're, we're receiving our inheritance and the enemy's not stealing anything from me. Things are being added that, already, that I've already had and it's manifesting. And so anyway, I just wanted to put a bow on your scripture. So he's for, you're far above anything, okay? Yeah, okay. So anyway, I'm done. The mother of the house has spoken on Mother's Day.
it's, you know, here's what I, I'm talking about a war in your mind. 15 minutes before I get up to come to the, the pulpit, I have a, a message. Um, someone sent me a message telling me that they're not coming back because of a certain belief system they believe that I have. Uh, it's amazing. Now, in the old days, I would say, man, the devil was fighting me. He attacked me right before I stepped into the pulpit. And the person that sent that is not demonic. They're, they're not mean. They're not, they just don't have the same belief that I have. The, I like what Dr. Hell says the, when I would go to the Father and say, man, you know, God, they left me. They, they took off. They don't believe the same thing I do. And he said, I don't believe the same thing you believe sometimes. You know, it's just, but I still love you. I'm still going to have fellowship with you. Don't break fellowship. So I say that to say, man, if you have a question about a scripture, something that we've said, something that I alluded to but didn't go into depth with, and you want to ask me questions, my heart and home is always open to, to talk to you. And, you know, I will do the best to schedule that. We have busy schedules. You have busy schedules. But we will do our best to talk on the phone or meet you somewhere and have coffee and, and discuss those things because we wouldn't want you to leave over something that, you know, but hey, if God calls you someplace else, we're still in this thing together and I'll still call you brother when I see you. You just might not like what we, are, what we might say, but that doesn't mean just because it's not true to you doesn't mean that it's not truth. You know, then someone might be on their journey, you know, so um, just because you might not like our response doesn't mean that we're both. Anyways, it's okay. We'll get through it. So we sure appreciate you showing up on Mother's Day. Moms, ladies, if you did not receive flowers when you came in this morning, would you make